Um, so you can open a Bible if you brought one, turn it on on your phone, follow along on the screen or um, in your outline. Um, Luke 5, that's, we'll start there, um, we'll jump around to a few different places, and then we're going to come back there, um, kind of talk through that. Um, we're in week number three of our series called Overcomers. Um, we've been talking about um, being the overcomers that Jesus has equipped us to be. Um, if you missed any of the messages over the past two weeks, jump online and, and check them out. Last week we talked about overcoming worry, um, and that seemed to be a, a really helpful message um, for a lot of us because we, um, we talked about how worry left unchecked leads to anxiety and depression, and, and that really kind of rolls into what we're talking about today. So, so let me kind of start off today like this. Let's get on some common ground. Um, we all have things. We talk about this all the time here. We have things that we like and things that we hate. And we could probably make great big long lists of things that we like to do and things that we hate to do and places that we like to go and places that we hate to go, teams that we like and teams that we hate or events or whatever. Um, I was thinking about this as I was putting this message together. Um, I was on a mission trip um, many, many years ago in Haiti. How, how many of you have ever been to Haiti? Anyone? Um, so I was on, in Haiti for uh, like 12, 13 days, something like that. Um, I hated every second of it. I'm, I'm not going to go into details of today about what happened or why it was so bad, but it was absolutely miserable. And I remember being on a mission trip, supposedly serving Jesus and loving God and leading people to Jesus and all of this stuff and thinking in my mind, I absolutely hate this place. Now, I didn't really hate it, but in the moment, like I got caught up in the moment. You understand this. When you get caught up in moments, you hate things. We've probably all experienced that with places, right? But how about, how about with people? You ever got caught up in a moment and, and you just hated a person? Like I was in Walmart recently. I have no idea why I go to this place. I don't. Probably sermon illustrations. Like, that's probably why I go. That, that's it. So if you see me at Walmart, don't talk to me because I'm probably watching you to use you as a sermon illustration. I guess that's probably it. Um, but true story, exact change coupon lady was in front of me. She had, I, I, I'm not making this up, she had six things, and she had a coupon for every one of the things that she was buying. And, and, and here's the problem. She didn't know where the coupons were in her gigantic stack of coupons. And so she literally, she had this like ball of coupons and she started like putting them one by one onto the belt. And I'm like, I will pay the $17 for your stuff. Just get out of line. I hate you. Now, I didn't really hate her. Like, I, I honestly, I don't even know who, who she is. Um, I, don't, I don't know her name. She was in first service, um, which was really awkward. I'm just kidding. <laughs> she wasn't. But we've all experienced that, right? We all get that. We understand. We understand why we hate places or people or things. I hate this person. I hate this place. I hate this thing. And, and, and not only do we understand us hating things, we understand when people hate us, right? We, like, we've all had haters. I had a couple of haters on Facebook this week. It was awesome. It's always great to be encouraged. It's, it's incredible. Um, but if I can be very honest with you, and, and, and some, of you, some of you will get this, and others of you maybe, maybe not, um, but if I talk about haters, and I sat up here and, and, I, and I listed out all the things, and if I read emails to you, or I told you things that people say, and I talked about haters and all of that stuff, out of all of my haters, this is me personally, I would argue we all have haters, um, but out of all of mine, um, the person I've discovered is my biggest hater is me. It really is. 
And, and all of us have probably, at some point in our lives, in some way, shape, form, or fashion, we've wrestled with this thing called self-hate or, or self-doubt, right? At, at some point, we've, we've kind of questioned that, and we've, and we've looked at that. I had a really good friend tell me one time, he said, Ryan, dude, if you talked to other people the way that you talk to yourself, like, you would have zero friends, and he was absolutely right, because I have a tendency to do a lot of negative self-talk. And all of us, I would argue, if we're, if we're really honest, we have that tendency as well. And so today, I want to talk about why many times we hate ourselves, and how do we overcome that. And the reason I think that it's important that we talk about that is because if we don't get past, if we don't overcome this thing called self-hate, it really does hold us back in our walk with Jesus um, we did a series several months ago, in fact, two different series this year, um, in, in a series called House Party and in a series from Wounds to Win. I, I talked about Luke chapter 5, and we talked about this ber- verse specifically. And so I'm not going to recap um, the whole story, but basically in Luke chapter 5, if you remember, um, Peter and Jesus get into a boat, and they go out, and Jesus says, put down your nets for a catch. Many of you remember this. Um, put down your nets for a catch. And Peter says, okay, because you say so, I will. And we've talked over and over and over again in this church that that phrase is, is like life-changing. If we, could just, if we could just hear Jesus communicate to us our next step and say, yes, Lord, because you say so, I will, and take it. If we just read the Bible and do what it says, we talk about this all the time, how much easier things would be, but we want to put up a fight and we want to argue, and that's another message for another time. But in this instance, Peter says, because you say so, yes, Lord, because you say so, I will. And so they put down the nets and they catch a whole bunch of fish, and then Jesus says, hey, I want you to follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. And then Luke chapter 5, verse 8, It says this, when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus, and look at this. He says, oh Lord, please leave me. I am a sinful man. And right here, like right here, we see this indication of self-hate, or or at the very least, self-dislike. And and I would argue that because of this self-hate, Peter, who's standing in front of Jesus, who's standing in front of the creator of the universe, a guy who just, who just did this amazing miracle in a moment of recognition of who he really is. Like, like Peter, Peter wants Jesus to walk away from him. And in doing that, Peter almost missed an opportunity because he couldn't get past who he is. Let me give you another example. The Apostle Paul, who wrote the majority, a big part at least, um, of the New Testament, he writes this phrase, in the book of Romans, in Romans 7, verse 24, he says, what a wretched man I am. Not what a wretched man you are, what a wretched man I am. In, in, in one of the most honest and impactful and transparent passages, I think, in the entire Bible, the Apostle Paul, who's traveling around, who's planting churches, who's leading people to Jesus, who's seeing all of these things happen, says, what a wretched man I am. And I believe this speaks to so many of us on so many levels because there are a lot of people that when we look in the mirror, we don't like who we see. And so let's talk about that. Let's talk through that. And let's talk about how to overcome that. Before we do, though, we need to talk about some of the reasons for self-hate. Um, it, it, when, you, when you walked in, again, you got the bulletin inside of there as an outline. Um, if you're a note taker, write this down. Um, if you're not a note taker, write this down, all right? Um, number one, first reason, it's comparison. 
um, or competition. You can write either word right here. I kind of went back and forth on which one to use and how to combine these together, and I thought maybe I should just add another point, but the Baptist in me wouldn't let me add another point to the outline because i got to stay at four. I got you know, It's like an order. Anyway, um, <laughs> comparison or competition. Now, I'm the world's worst at both of these. I, I really am. We've talked about this before. So, like, as an example, let's say um, we're going to go on a trip somewhere. All right, we put in the destination in the GPS, and it says three hours and 15 minutes. Here's how I operate. This is where I live. I don't know about you, but this is me. If I don't beat three hours and 15 minutes, I am depressed for the rest of the day. If you're in my vehicle, you're riding with me, and you've got to pee, sucks to be you because we're going to beat three hours and 15 minutes. And here's what's horrible. Here's what's horrible. If we make it in three hours and 10 minutes, then on the way back home, I've got to make it in three hours and five minutes. I'm always comparing. I'm always competing. Now, anybody else like that, by the way? Anybody? Anyone like that? Here's what's crazy when it comes to this, this idea of comparison. Like, we can say it's funny and we can make jokes about GPS, but oftentimes we compare ourselves maybe to other people. We compete with other people and we compare to other people. A lot of people deal with this self-hate deal, and, and, and one of the ways that we deal with it is, is we look at other people and we see what they're doing and, and we begin to attack them or we begin to criticize them. We'll, we'll look at other people and we'll say, well, they look better than me or they're smarter than me or they do this, but, but, then, but then we try to find their faults. And in our minds, at least, we say, well, but they do this, or they do that, and, and, we're, and we're tearing them down because of this comparison thing. This is especially true in the church world, because most of us, if we're honest, we know somebody that's godlier than us, right? And so we look up to them. We look at these people, and it seems like God just loves them more than he loves anybody else. It seems like God's just always answering their prayers. They've got the perfect kids, or they've got the perfect marriage, and it seems like they always get what they want. They can quote the Bible like we can quote movies. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's comparison. And the worst thing to come out of all of this, especially in the church world, is that we'll compare ourselves and hate ourselves based on who we used to be spiritually. Because if there was a time in your life where you were closer to God than you are right now, it's highly likely that you look at who you used to be and who you are now and kind of condemn yourself because you don't feel like you were as good as what you used to be. And that's what I, why I love what the Apostle Paul wrote in the book of Galatians, chapter 6, verse 4. He says, pay careful attention to your own work. In other words, look at what's going on in your own life. Don't, don't worry about what's going on out there. Don't, don't look at what they're doing. Pay careful attention to your own life, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. Now, I've got to talk about this for a second, because this is where a lot of people say, well, you, you, you can't say that my walk with Jesus is a job well done. You can. Listen, if you take your next step, if you're taking your next steps, you can say that. It's not about how much Bible you know. It's not about how long you pray. It's not about listening to Christian music versus secular music. It's simply, are you taking your next step? Because listen, we're not supposed to compare ourselves to other people spiritually. We're supposed to compare ourselves to what Jesus has asked us to do next. And as long as we're taking our next steps, 
That is a job well done. So you might not be as far along as other people are. But, but have you ever stopped to think that maybe, just maybe Jesus doesn't want you there yet? So comparing ourselves to other people spiritually is never a setup for a win. That's why he said in the rest of this, he said, you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to, what's that next word say? What's it say? Compare. You don't need to compare yourself to anyone else. So comparison is one of the reasons a lot of people hate themselves. Comparison to other people or comparison to who we used to be. The second reason is criticism. Second reason for self-hate is criticism. One of the biggest lies that we're told as kids, and we talked about this in week one, but one of the biggest lies that we all heard growing up is sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. How many of you would agree that's a lie? You know why? You, you know why? Because you still remember what people said to you in first grade, right? I, I remember a critical comment from first grade. There's a ton of them um, that I could bring up as examples here. But I was hanging out with some friends one time in my neighborhood. And uh, I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but they were going to go do something. And um, for the first time, they wouldn't let me go with them. And they told me, the reason they said you can't go is they looked at me and they said, because your parents are poor. And, and I had no idea what that meant. But, but as, as the weeks went on, days went by, and things like that, and they were, they were continuing to go do things, like they continued to bring it up. You can't go because your parents are poor. That was over 40 years ago. And I still remember it like it was yesterday. And criticism, like you think criticism was bad 40 years ago? Now with social media, like, like social media, like people and criticism on social media, People can say things to you or about you with zero accountability, and there's absolutely nothing that we can do about it. The problem, here's the problem with criticism, is we get so hyper-focused on what people say about us, and, and, and I'm probably speaking to myself more than anybody else in this room right now. We get so hyper-focused on what other people say that we lose sight of what God says. We get so hyper-focused on what other people say about us that we forget what God says about us. L listen, criticism is a big deal. Th there are people, there are teenagers that take their lives because of online bullying. I mean, it's a, it is a big deal. Criticism is a big deal. Now, some people will say, well, I'm not criticizing, I'm correcting. Listen, listen, listen. There's a huge difference between criticism and correction. If I'm doing something wrong, like if there's something going on in my life, like I've appreciated people that have stepped into my life and said, hey, Ryan, that, that's wrong. Like, like, hey, Ryan, like the, the path that you're going down or what you're thinking or the area that you're, like that's just wrong. Correction is done out of love. Criticism is done out of the desire to be right. Criticism, correction is, hey, man, I love you, and, and legit, the path you're going down right now is a path of destruction. Hey, maybe you need to step back a little bit. Maybe you need to think about this. Maybe you need to kind of work this out in your mind. But because of the criticism of others, we'll take their word about us over God's word about us. We believe what they say. And, and when we do that, it leads to worry and anxiety and depression and self-hatred, criticism. The third reason that we hate ourselves is, is blame. Now, 
a lot of us love to blame other people for things. So, you know, it's not my fault. It's my mom's fault. It's my daddy's fault. It's not, it's not my fault. It's, it's my spouse's fault. It's their fault. And, and that's a whole other sermon for another time because some people actually have fun playing the victim and whatever. I'm, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about there are people, there are those of us, because, again, I fall into this category way too often where I will apologize for stuff that I didn't even do. Like, I remember one time I was in a parking lot, and somebody backed out. I was, I was leaving. Somebody backed out and hit my truck, and I was so angry. You ever been hit by somebody? You ever been hit by somebody, and it's, like, not your fault? And so I was, man, I was, like, fired up. I threw my truck in park, and I jumped out, and I came around the front of the truck, and I'm going to let this person have it. Like, I am fired. Like, how could you be so stupid not to look in your rearview mirror? Like, I'm just, like, flames are coming out of my ears. And I get around, and the door's open into this car, and out slides this little old lady about this tall. I swear she sat on 17 phone books just to see over the steering wheel. And she gets out, and she looks at me, and I'm like, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have been there. It, it's just a scratch. It'll be okay. Like, I, I, I know a guy. He could pull it out. It, it ain't a big deal. I hope you're okay, ma'am. I hope you're having a wonderful day. And, and, I, just, and I just left. And it's like, it's just, sometimes I, I carry that. Like, sometimes it's just like, man, I, like, no, it's not my fault, but I'm just going to take it. And, and there are some of you here, probably, that are just like that. Something has happened to you. Something's happened in your past, and you just take all the blame. You just say, it's my fault. It's my fault. It's my fault the marriage didn't work. It's my fault the kid went crazy. It's my fault I lost the job. It's my fault. It's my fault. It's my fault. And you know what the problem is? When we keep saying it's our fault, blame will cause us over time. If we don't stop blaming ourselves, we'll eventually hate ourselves. I'm not saying it can't be your fault. All right? I'm not saying you can't be like, oh, nothing's ever my fault. But if it is your fault, if it was your fault, receive the forgiveness of the Lord and let's try our best to take our next step and move forward. Because if we don't deal with blame, it leads to number four, shame. Blame is what we say. Shame is what we feel. Um, I wasn't going to include this story in this message um, because the last time I told it, uh, I got in a, in a bunch of trouble for it. I actually had a meeting over it. Um, but it's true. It, it's, a, it, it's really funny. It's super gross. And it's a little bit disturbing. I have a dog whom I love, love her. But she loves to eat the chocolate ice cream emoji of my other dog. It is absolutely disgusting. It is, it is, it is horrible. It's awful. Like we, we put stuff in the other's dog's food to make his poop taste bad. Like you got to, to make poop taste bad. Like that doesn't even make any sense when you say it out loud, right? And we talk to the dog about it all the time, and we try to explain it to her. Here's the problem. She knows when she does it. Like, she knows it's wrong. Like, you don't, you don't even have to say anything. Like, we don't even have to catch her anymore. We'll just open the door, and we'll be like, hey, come in the house. And she starts walking in the house with her head hung in shame. And you can look at her and go, Izzy, 
Did you eat the poop? And she just hangs her head a little bit lower. And you say, let me see. And she turns her head to the side and she lets her teeth come out. And it's packed in her teeth. And she's got these great big jaws. And you can pull them open and it's just packed inside of there. And you look at her and you're just like, shame. And she ducks her head all the way down and tucks her tail and just walks away. Now, like I said, it's a little bit gross. Some of you are like, that's pretty nasty. Pastor just told a story about his dog eating poop. I'm never coming back. Uh, It's real life stuff, folks. I'm telling you, man, it's messed up. But as I think about that, I think a lot of us, like, because of our past sins or because of what's currently going on in our life, that's the way that we feel that God is treating us. We, we feel like God treats us like that with our past mistakes, our past failures. We, we feel like God's standing at the edge of heaven going, I can't believe you did that. Let me see. Did you do that? Shame. Shame. And that's not what he does. He's not doing that. Listen, listen, listen. The last thing God wants us to do is walk around in shame. It, it, it is, because shame shackles us to our past, and it doesn't allow us to walk in the freedom that Jesus Christ has actually called us to live in. Shame is what causes us to keep things silent and not speak it out loud. I, I, was, I was speaking to a guy um, not long ago, and he told me that he was molested as a kid, but he didn't talk about it until he was well into his 30s, because he thought that it was his fault. And he said, Ryan, I carried that shame, and I was silent about something that was causing me to suffer, and it actually caused me to suffer long-term, and and it led me into addiction and this destructive behavior because I didn't speak it out loud. He said, the reason I didn't speak it out loud is because I carried so much shame and embarrassment. And there may be some people here right now that when it comes to your past or maybe even your present, you deal with a lot of shame, and shame always leads to self-hate. And the reason we've got to deal with self-hate is because if we don't deal with it, we'll medicate. And when we medicate, we medicate on things that are destructive. So how do we overcome it? How do we overcome self-hatred? Well, let's go back to Peter for a second. Because Peter looked at Jesus and he said, go away from me, Lord. Just go away. I'm, I'm a sinful man. Like, I don't deserve to be in your presence. You are holy. You are godly. You are awesome. You are incredible. And I am a sinful man. Just go. And I love Jesus' response because Jesus didn't say, hey, you know what? (laughs) You're right. (laughs) You're disgusting. You're nasty. Shame. Jesus doesn't say that. He He doesn't even, like, you read this story, he doesn't even address the issue. He tells him, he says, hey, no big deal. Don't worry about it. Matter of fact, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. Just a Just a quick reading through the rest of the Gospel of Luke. You'll read that that Peter, he didn't always get it right. He screwed up a bunch. But Jesus never shamed him. Jesus never blamed him. He corrected him. He, He didn't criticize him. He corrected him out of love and continually challenged him to take his next step in his walk with him. And that's the same exact thing he does to every one of us. He corrects us, doesn't criticize us, and challenges us to take our next step. Paul, we looked at that, that verse in Paul, and Paul said, what a wretched man I am. But the rest of the phrase, Paul says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue? Because Paul understood he needed to be rescued, and all of us need to be rescued from this thing called self-hate, every single one of us. And so listen, Paul, don't miss this. The apostle Paul, if he needed to be rescued, all of us need to be rescued. Yes or no? Yes. 
Who will rescue me, it says, from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me, who helps me overcome. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, Paul said, I, I, I can't rescue me. It's going to take Jesus to rescue me. I can't overcome on my own. It's going to take Jesus' help to get me to overcome, to help me get through this. And so how do we get past the shackles of shame and step into freedom? How do we overcome self-hate? Well, there's, a lo- there's probably a lot of ways that you can do this. You can probably go online and you can Google ways to do it, but I want to tell you what's worked for me, what's helped me um, step out of self-hatred or at least begin the process. Number one, embrace community. Embrace community. Yes, I'm talking about church. I'm talking about getting involved in church. I'm talking about plugging in to church. I'm a pastor. That's what I talk about. Embrace community. Listen, what if church? What, what if church really could be a place where we could walk in, sit around together, where we're able to be honest with one another about what's really happening in our lives, about instead of coming in here and, and pretending like everything is fine and everything is good, that we really admitted what's wrong, that we're jacked up. Because listen, here, here's the truth. Every one of us knows that every one of us is jacked up. There's not a single person in here that any of us are looking at saying, oh my gosh, you're so perfect. Like, we know. We know that we're struggling. We know that each of us have these burdens that we're carrying. And so what if church was a place where instead of bringing in shame and leaving more, we're leaving with more of it, we could really look at each other and help each other. See, this is the thing that I've discovered. When we speak about shame, the shackles get shattered and we're actually able to walk in freedom. But, but a lot of people carry shame because they've never understood what it's like to embrace community in their lives. And that's what I want for this church. I want us to be a group of people that are able to get together, and again, instead of saying, hey, how you doing? And you're looking back at them and saying, fine, that we really talk about how we're doing. Because I know from personal experience that when you begin to speak about something that's held you back for years, it loses its power to hold you back. So number one, embrace community. Number two, accept empathy. Accept empathy. Now, maybe a lot of you will resonate with this. Maybe, maybe you won't. Um, at one time in my life, believe it or not, I was a marriage expert. Like, literally, I knew everything there was to know about marriage. I would preach about it. I would tell stories about it. I got invited to speak at retreats about it. And then something happened. Anybody want to guess what happened? I got married. And Mary let me know that I'm not an expert. <laughs> Same thing with kids. If you've got kids, like at one time, I was a child-raising expert. Man, I was a youth pastor, and I knew everything there was to know about raising kids. I would be out at a restaurant, and a kid would lose their dang mind. And I could look at that kid, and I could look at the parents, and I knew the exact problem. I'd be like, bad parents. They're just bad parents. That's all it is right there. They're probably abusive. Like bad, I mean, if they were loving parents, that kid wouldn't lose his dang mind. Bad parents. Like, I was an expert on kids until I had a kid. And then sometimes my kid would freak out in the restaurant, and people would look at me, and I'd be like, I'm a horrible dad. I'm sorry. Not abusive, just bad dad. We are all experts until we get into certain situations, right? I used to be an expert at life, and then I started getting older. Oh, my gosh, in high school? Anybody, anybody else like this in high school? I knew 
everything. Anybody resonate with that that's not a current high school student? In high school, you knew everything, and then you get older, and you realize as you get older how smart your parents really were. Like, oh my gosh, they told me. As a matter of fact, I'm convinced that my mom has cursed me with the stuff that she has said was going to happen, like she just knew. This, this is the thing. This is, this is the point. We understand people with kids because we have kids. I understand people who have trouble with their, their, their kids because I'm a parent. I can understand people have issues with marriage because I'm married. I know what it's like to go through tough times. The reason I'm saying this is because when we go through tough times, this is the thing. If, if you don't get anything else I say today, you, you got to get this. When we go through tough times and we experience shame and we experience self-hate, we, we tend to want to run away from God when in actuality that should be the very thing that drives us to God. Let me say that again, because it's huge. When we go through seasons of self-hate and shame, we, we, we tend to want to run away from God, when in actuality, those should be the very things that drive us to God. Because again, once again, God's not standing at the edge of heaven going, I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you went there. I can't believe, shame. He's not saying that. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that Jesus knows what we're going through. He understands because he experienced um, in the book of Hebrews, I don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, but in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 4, the author writes, So then, since we have a great high priest, this is in reference to Jesus, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. Now look at this. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. In other words, Jesus gets you. You can't go to him saying, Jesus, I'm really struggling in this area, and have him say, Again? You kidding me? After all I've done for you, you're really going to tell me you're struggling in this area? No, no, he doesn't say that. He gets us. He understands us. And here's why. He became one of us. Jesus Christ is the God-man. God became man and dwelt among us. So he understands. He understands our weaknesses. Look at this. For he faced all the same testings that we do. Jesus faced the same temptations that we face. The same ones. Yet he did not sin. Now, I need to say something here real quick because um, there seems to be this, this popular new phrase that's happening in Christianity. I've heard pastors say it in the past, but some really popular ones are saying it right now. As a matter of fact, I heard one of them say last week, he said, Jesus didn't sin, so you can't sin. But first of all, that statement right there is sin because you're telling people to do something that they can't do, so shut up. All right, so if you're watching those guys on, online and, and they're saying that stuff, they're, they're way wrong. All right, so I just need to say that right there. Um, that, that's not true. Anyway, a little rant, sorry. Verse 16, so let us come boldly to the throne. Not timidly, boldly. The Bible says let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his condemnation. Oh, it doesn't say that, does it? If we come boldly to the throne, if we come to Jesus with our sin, if we come to Jesus with our shame, the Bible says he will, we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. In other words, God doesn't turn his back on his children ever, ever, ever. He understands what we're going through, which is an invitation not to run from him, but to come to him with the things that cause us oftentimes to hate ourselves. So number two, accept empathy. Number three is understand value. Understand value. More importantly, understand your value. Let me explain it like this. This car right here is called a Bugatti. That's what the car is called. That's not an Italian dish. 
that you get with your lasagna. It's a car. This car right here, this particular car, costs just over $3 million. $3 million. That's a lot of money, yes or no? Yeah, so some of you are saying, I would never pay $3 million. That's because you don't have it. That's why. I wouldn't either. It's because I don't have it. I guess if you're like a bazillionaire or something like that, you could buy one of these and drive it on Tuesday. Um, make sure you stop by here and let your pastor take a spin in it, all right, because I'd love to do that. Um, <laughs> do you know why it's worth $3 million? Because somebody would pay that, because somebody understands there's value to that. This right here, this is a painting. Anybody know whose painting this is? Monet, right? This is a painting called Water Lilies in Bloom. It recently sold at an auction for $84.6 million. $84.6 million. Now, to be honest with you, to me, that looks like somebody put a bunch of paint in their mouth and just spit on the canvas. That's what it looks like. But somebody thought it was valuable enough to pay $84.6 million. The value, here's the point, the value of something is determined by the price that somebody's willing to pay. Somebody thought that that picture was worth $84.6 million. This house right here, this is a house in Hawaii, which, I mean, don't you really feel bad for somebody living in Hawaii? Oh, poor person. Anyway, uh, I pulled this off of Hawaii Zillow, all right? This house right here, right now it's for sale, $45 million. Let me tell you a little bit about this house. Let me read the description. It's on the big island. This, this, I don't know which one that is, but the big island. This nearly 1.5-acre lot of oceanfront paradise comes, don't look at this, comes with the opportunity to apply to the Kukio Golf and Country Club. Like, you don't even get guaranteed to get in for $45 million. You've got to apply and get accepted. Then it's probably like another $100 million to be in that. Anyway, this home has six bedrooms. Over seven, seven baths, like, I don't even understand over seven, like, why don't you just say eight or nine? Or, like, you have the opportunity to pee in the corner or something if you want to. Like, I don't, I don't even understand what that means. And nearly 9,000 square feet of space, which provides plenty of room to spread out across the lush green grounds, which lead to the sparkling beach. Um, I did the math. If I save every one of my paychecks for the next five years, I can afford a day in that house. I guess that's it. $45 million, and somebody was willing to pay for it because right now it says sale pending on that house. The value of something is determined by the price somebody is willing to pay. We can all agree, yes or no. Whether it's a Bugatti, whether it's a Monet, whether it's a house, or whether it's the person you saw in the mirror this morning. Here's the point. The most popular verse in the Bible, and Claudia used this during her worship time this morning, is John 3.16. For God so loved the world. I want you to look at that, and I want, I want you to, to think as I read through this. I want, I want to ask everybody to participate. You don't even have to be a Christian to participate in this. Where it says the word world, I want you to put your name. So instead of world, just put your name in your mind. For God so loved Ryan. For God so loved you. For God so loved. For God so loved you that he gave his one and only son. Now, now, for those of you who are parents, do you value your kids, yes or no? Are you going to give them up for anyone or anything? Absolutely not. But God gave his one and only son that whoever, and put your name right there, that when Ryan, that when Jerry, that when Charlie, that when Amy believes 
in him will not perish, but have eternal life. If the value of something is determined by the price that someone is willing to pay, and God gave his one and only son for you and for me, that means despite what we told ourselves about ourselves, we have value. Jesus goes on to emphasize this point in the next verse, which I think is just as strong as as verse 16, but we don't talk about it as a lot. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Again, put your name there. Everywhere that it says the word world, put your name right there. For God did not send his son to Ryan, to condemn Ryan, but to save Ryan through him. Let me just help everybody, and this is something I've discovered personally. If God did not send his son, don't miss this, if God did not send his son to condemn you, then he did not send you to condemn you either. We are not called to condemn ourselves, but to understand ourselves in light of who Jesus sees us to be. So how do we get past self-hate? Embrace community, accept empathy, and understand value. Those are really good places for us to, to start the process of overcoming. But also for me, it's this, this prayer that I've been praying, and I, I keep going back to it. For, for the longest time, I, I've, I've, I've taught you and I've told you and I've challenged you to, to, to pray, God, help me see other people as you see them, right? And it, and it hit me um, a while ago, why don't, why don't I pray that prayer about myself, ever? And so this is a prayer that's been helping me deal with this because I, I still struggle with this like everybody else. And Because here's, here's the real reason that why, why we wrestle with self-hate is because we know who we really are, right? Like, like we, we've got the pretend self that we put on when we're in front of people or when we come into church, but we know what we did or we know what we're going to do and we know what we're thinking, we know what we're thinking about doing. And so the prayer that I've learned to pray on a consistent basis is this, Jesus, help me to not hate what you deeply love and what deeply matters, me. Help me. Help me to see me as you see me. Now some people might say, well that's a really selfish prayer. I think it's pretty unselfish. Because Jesus said, love others as you what? Love yourself. And if you don't love yourself, it's going to be really easy to hate other people. And so I think one of the most incredible prayers that we can pray is, Jesus, help me not to hate what you deeply love and what deeply matters to you. Jesus, help me to see me the way that you see me. Because at the end of the day, listen to me, church, it's not about who hates us and it's not about who we hate. It's about dealing with the self-hate that shackles so many of us. And I'm telling you, there's a way to step out of that and step into the freedom that a relationship with Jesus Christ, that you can have in a relationship with Jesus. He's the only one who can rescue us. He's the only one that can help us overcome this. Claudia is gonna come up here and she's gonna sing a song. And and, and, and let me just say this, I, I get it. I understand, I know. For those of us who struggle with this, who wrestle with this, a sermon on self-hate isn't gonna make it go away but I think it at least starts the process. If this is something that you wrestle with, I I would tell you, have a conversation with somebody about it before the end of the day. Um, It doesn't have to be a pastor, but it it should be somebody that you you trust or somebody you feel comfortable talking to. As she sings this song, there'll be people up here and and obviously they would love to pray with you and talk to you about this if you're struggling with this, But, but if it's not here and you're really struggling with this, 
talk it through with somebody. Because I'm telling you, if you'll talk about the things that shame you, the, the, shame, the chains and the, and the shackles will be broken. Um, and you'll begin to overcome what has held you in bondage for years. And so as she sings this song, you, you may know it, um, you, you may not know it. If you don't, I want you to sit and listen. If you do, I want you to stand and sing. But I only want you to stand and sing if you're going to believe this and you're going to embrace it. The, the song is, like, who am I? Who, who am I that the, that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost and he brought me in. I'm chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. I'm not who the world says that I am. I'm not who my spouse says that I am. I'm not who my brother or my sister. I'm not who I say that I am. I am who you say that I am. And church, we are overcomers. That's who he says that we are. If we're in Christ, we are overcomers. We're not who anyone except the king of kings says that we are.